there is a theme of chasing that runs right through this psalm. I want to show it to you. Look in verse 4. In verse 4, the psalmist writes that the sorrows of those who run after. That's another way of saying chase. The sorrows of those who chase after another god. After a false god, the psalmist tells us that sorrows are going to multiply. It's a promise. If you chase after a false god, then sorrows will multiply. Then he spends the last few lines of the song telling us about true pleasure. Just look at what he, he talks about the Lord being at his right hand. At the Lord at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. My heart is glad. My whole being is rejoicing. My flesh is secure. And then he ends with, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand. I have thought about this phrase so much over the last few years. At your right hand are our pleasures. How long do they last, church? How long do the pleasures of God last? It says it right there. Forevermore. Forever. Eternal pleasure is what God promises to those who chase after him. You see what he's saying here. There's this theme of chasing. We're hardwired. Every single one of us. We were created to chase after pleasure. Some, we're told, chase after it in the form of a false god with, promise, with the promise that sorrows are coming. Some chase after God and experience him and pleasures forevermore. There's only two things that you ultimately chase after. You either chase after God or you chase after another god. Lowercase god. Lowercase g. So there's this possibility. Because we're hardwired to chase pleasure, there is this possibility that you and I can chase the wrong pleasure. Anybody here ever chased the wrong pleasure? A room full of people that have done that, right? Created for God, but we chase after false gods. Now, just so we're clear, when, when the Bible speaks about false gods or idolatry, idols, don't just think of like the worst possible sins that you could ever commit as being those that will bring sorrow. The scripture says you can make, Calvin said, the, the heart is an idol factory. It'll make an idol out of anything. So you can turn something that's actually a good gift from God we do this all the time, into a false god. And when you make it your false god, the scripture says, if you chase after a false god, then what will happen is your sorrows will multiply. Food is good. We need it. But if you make it your god, bad things will happen. Sex is a gift from God. It's a good thing. But if you make it your god, Scripture says sorrows will multiply. One chasing leads to sorrows piling up. 
One chasing leads to an experience of eternal pleasure, never-ending satisfaction, which is what you really want because that's what you were created for. Now, there's a place in our Bible where we actually see creation, humans, experiencing God, chasing after the right pleasure all the time, every time. Do you know where you can find that in your Bible? you got to go to the beginning of it. You go to the beginning, and it only lasts for two chapters. Creation, Adam and Eve, our ancestors, chasing after God and experiencing Him and all that eternal joy. Perfect harmony, satisfied in God alone. But then it all falls apart. What causes it to fall apart? The entry of sin into the world. And the rest of the Bible tells us of God's work, his work, to fix that problem through the work of Jesus, through the person work of Jesus. But shouldn't we ask why? Why did that happen? It's because God created his higher creatures, human beings, with free will. When God created you, he made you free. You're not a robot. You're not a machine. And with freedom, you are free to either go after the wrong thing or to go after the right thing. If a thing is free to be good, it has to be free to be bad. So free will makes evil possible. God must have thought it was worth the risk. So why then would God give us free will? C.S. Lewis has helped me with this. Because free will, even though it makes evil possible, is the only thing that makes any love or any pleasure or joy that you have in this life worth having. If you were just a robot, you wouldn't experience the pleasure that you have in being free to choose God for who he is. A world of robots of creatures that work like machines that always make the right choice would hardly be worth creating. The happiness that God designs for us, his higher creatures, is the happiness of being freely and voluntarily united to him and united to one another. What Satan did in the garden, the red dragon is he put it into the heads of our ancestors the idea that they could be like God. They could set up their own 
They could set up on their own as if they had created themselves. They could be their own master and they could invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God. Apart from God. And that, friends, is how sorrows multiply. Got a long trail of human history to show what it does when we are free to set up on our own apart from God. Human history is a terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That's what God sent Jesus to fix. Because we believe as we gather this morning, if we're in Christ, true joy and happiness is found in him who restores us through his work into a right relationship with God so that we can actually experience the pleasure of being in relationship with God, which sin had distorted, which sin had separated us from. But Jesus restores that. True joy and happiness found in him. That's why we say around here, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because that's where we find our joy. God could not possibly give us a happiness and a pleasure apart from himself because it simply does not exist. It's not there. There's no such thing. So as we look into this new year, filled with all sorts of opportunities and undoubtedly obstacles. I want to ask you a question. What will you chase after this year? I'll summarize what I see here in Psalm 16 with if-then statements. If you chase after another God, a false God, then sorrows will pile up. But if you chase after God, then pleasures will pile up. It's your choice. Let's take a moment now. Why don't we stand because we're going to sing. Let's just take a moment. And begin to pray. Let's begin by just asking ourselves, what are we chasing after? What have, what have we been seeking to find joy and happiness in? Let's rejoice in those moments where we've been choosing God and finding pleasure in Him. Let's repent of moments. Let's confess and turn away from those, those things that we've chased after other than God. So as the Lord's bringing those things to mind, let's turn away from those things. Let's turn away from all false gods. Let's turn away from all idols. Have you been looking to anything to give you a happiness that ultimately you're saying, I feel unsatisfied, and perhaps you look at your life and you feel like some sorrows have been piling up. Turn away from that. Turn back to God and receive his grace. He sent Jesus so that we can turn back. He sent Jesus so that we can get up where we've fallen and rise again and run after him. So let's, let's, just, let's just stand before the Lord quietly and survey our own hearts and ask God for help to chase after him.
Our world today is one giant attempt to shuffle ourselves and others into a class system. We are always, both consciously and subconsciously, making comparisons and judgments on who belongs where in the pecking order of life, and then inserting ourselves into the rankings. And I'm not just talking about the, the, the popularity game that we all played in, in high school, grade school. We do it with our own categories now. Wealth, where do I fit in that? Who's richer than I am? Who's poorer? Social capabilities, who's able to talk with me in a way that I don't feel awkward? Uh, physical attractiveness, who's more beautiful? Who's less beautiful? Um, where someone falls on the political spectrum, oh, they lean this way or they lean that way. Power in, in both the real world and online. Our sin struggles versus someone else's sin struggles. Oh, I would never do that. I would never say that. I would never act like that. Social media presence or popularity. Oh, they, they've got a lot of followers. Uh, I recently went to a conference where I was speaking, and uh, one of the other speakers who was there at this conference was and is a hero of mine. And so I was very excited to meet this person. And uh, sure enough, I, I did get to meet him, and I had a gift for him, and I gave him this gift, and we took a picture together, and I posted it on Instagram because I was very excited that I met this person. And about 15 minutes after I posted this picture on Instagram, a friend of mine who uh, I trust dearly, who speaks into my life both encouragement and uh, who's willing to get in my face about stuff that I'm not doing well, 15 minutes after I posted this picture, this is what he texted me. So you're starting the look at me with famous people pics on social media? We need to talk. It's an evangelical speaker trend I do hate. Who's helped by these pictures? Who's helped by me telling people that I'm on my way to the next cool conference? So your picture triggered these concerns in me. I just don't understand how this all fits with he must increase, I must decrease. I got that text message, and I was rocked. That, like, shook me. Why? Because he was right. In my heart of hearts, if I was honest, I was gloating. I was showing off online, attempting to shuffle myself higher in the pecking order of Christians so I felt better about myself in the class system of my own mind and heart. Attempts on our part, and we all do this, to rank everyone distorts the beauty of the gospel truth that all of us, all of us are equal at the foot of the cross. All of us are failures deserving the full wrath of God for our ineptitude and foolishness. 
And if we are in Christ, we are all forgiven because of Christ's substitution. He put himself in the place that we deserve to be and absorbed the wrath that we are due. Consequently, every Christian is a forgiven failure. No matter where they fall on the infinite number of class system spectrums that we rifle through in our minds all day, every day. Perhaps this is why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and yet he knew his place. None of us is better than anyone else. And yet all of us as believers in Christ have access to living an abundant and satisfying life in the Lord by something called the Spirit-filled life. Working with college students for over 22 years affords me the not-so-rare glimpse into the life of a person who is influenced by the overconsumption of alcohol. Not only is it commonplace to see a drunk student wandering the streets of a college town on any given night of the week, but interacting with wasted university students has practically, be, practically become an unwritten part of my job description since I started campus ministry in the summer of 1999. I see it all the time, and so do the students I work with. So consequently, it's relatively easy to explain to someone in college why the Apostle Paul uh, means what he means when he talks about being filled with the Spirit and compares and contrasts it with drunkenness in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. But regardless of uh, whether or not you were a college student at one point, or you are, you want to become one at some point, or you've ever tasted a sip of alcohol, or you've even witnessed a drunk person up close, the metaphor should not be lost on you. Ephesians 5, 18, this is what I'm talking about. He says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So if we're careful to track what, what Paul is illustrating here by setting up this specific dichotomy, it gives us enormous insight into the often misunderstood meaning of the Spirit-filled life. Let me help you understand it. When someone moves from being sober to getting drunk, we're able to see three C words in the process. Choice, control, and change. A person makes a choice to consume alcohol. And as he does, he gives control of his life over to the influence of the alcohol that he's drinking. Consequently, he is changed in his behavior, in his speech, and even his thoughts, which Ephesians 5 tells us is debauchery, which basically means immoral self-indulgence. Now, we've probably all seen or heard 
the kind of life that flows from the controlling influence of increased alcohol intake, and it usually isn't pretty, let alone godly, right? The results are obviously sinful, and with these three C words, we, we start to understand. But Paul makes the turn quite quickly for us in the second half of the verse and states, but be filled with the Spirit. So we need to ask ourselves, why would he make this kind of comparison if not to help us understand how a believer can walk in the power of God's Holy Spirit, who indwells us from the moment we are saved by the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection? If a Christian desires, by God's grace, to live the Spirit-directed life, and experience what it means for God to work in and through her so that Christ might be glorified in her life, she makes a choice to yield her life to the Holy Spirit's influence. When she makes that choice, she submits control of her life over to his direction, his power, his authority, And as a result of her relinquishing control, her life is changed to the glory of God. Choice, control, change. So instead of the works of the flesh coming to fruition in her life because of immoral self-indulgence, which is spelled out for us in, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, we're able to see a life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5, 22-23. The same guy who authored Ephesians also wrote Galatians, the Apostle Paul. And we see similar language used by him in this epistle as well. Walk by the Spirit, he says, in Galatians 5, 16 and 25. A command given to the church in Galatia as two slices of bread sandwiching in the middle the fruit of the Spirit to illustrate what walking in the Spirit practically looks like. But in Ephesians 5, in Ephesians 5, Paul's rather quick contrast of getting drunk, and being filled with the Spirit, it shouldn't fly over our heads, just as it most likely didn't fly over the heads of the people in the Ephesian church either. The Spirit-filled life isn't overly complicated or reserved for special Christians who know some kind of secret knowledge that allows them to tap into the Holy Spirit's active presence and power in this life. Remember, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. There is no class system at work when it comes to the Spirit's filling. Rather, it's simply a life yielded to the third person of the Trinity, who longs to glorify Jesus in our lives and produce in us the kind of fruit that points to him and to his goodness. It isn't our job 
to produce the fruit. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of our labor. It's the Spirit's job to generate His fruit in our lives. And when we make the choice to submit and yield control over to Him, we as Christians are truly changed. Let me pray. One more meditation as we focus together on the coming year. I was reading in the book of Philippians where Paul says this. He's learned in whatever situation to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Like many of you, I'm sure I took some time over the last few days to reflect on 2021. And to be honest, like these last couple years have just felt so much like a blur that I had to get out my phone and remember, like, what, what was this year actually, what took place? And I've captured those things on my phone. And so I scrolled through my phone at all the pictures that I took in this past year. We are blessed to have family in New England, and so one of the memories I had was taking my family up to my brother-in-law's place in New Hampshire in the middle of a huge snowstorm, and we got to snowboard and ski in some incredible conditions. Awesome, awesome vacation. A very generous friend and partner of BGC in June said, hey, why don't you go down to my beach house and have a week's vacation with your family. So pictures of being on the beach, soaking in the sun, my, my son surfing for the first time. My oldest son, Silas, turned 16, and for his 16th birthday, I took him up into the Adirondacks to go rock climbing and backpacking. Tons of excellent memories together, smiles on our faces, and then some words I never thought would come out of my mouth. I have a dog. Pictures of puppies, pictures of me lying on the floor with my face two inches away from this brand new puppy. I'm a dog owner now. 2021, I quickly learned after scrolling through my pictures, was a year filled with a lot of abounding, a lot of blessing. I know what it was like to face abundance in 2021, but I also knew that 2021 was not all good times. So I got my journal out, too. With your phone, you capture the good times, right? In my journal, I capture the things that I have to wrestle through. Ongoing political tensions in our nation. Cultural division and tribalism. Relational tensions. Fracturing friendships. Stress in families and in the church and undoubtedly COVID, regularly changing plans and our response to what's best and what's safest. I and we have been brought low this year too. We felt our need and we've been humbled. Now, I typically see joy and trial as dissonance. Good times interrupted by bad times or bad times relieved by good times. But when I read Paul, 
he doesn't seem to make those distinctions. He's able to face good and bad and says, I'm content with either or. I want to be more like Paul. I don't know what this new year holds, but I can be certain of this. It will be filled with joy, and it will be filled with trial. It will have ups, and it will have downs. We will laugh, and we will cry. That's life. And I'd like to take a step, I'd like us to take a step just a bit closer to Paul's perspective this year, learning to be content in both. And the secret, Paul says, is to find our strength in Christ for all that we face. In Christ, we receive all the good gifts that God gives to us. So when we scroll through our photos, we thank him. We enjoy what he's blessed us with. We share in our abundance. We share with those in need. We learn contentment by reminding ourselves of this, and it's what Kenny just said. As good as these gifts are, it's the giver that we worship, not the gift that he gives to us. In God alone, our souls are satisfied. And in Christ, we also receive the trials. Like Job, we learn to say, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Sometimes God gives, and sometimes God takes away. And like Paul, we learn contentment by reminding ourselves, when I'm weak, then I'm actually strong. When trials bring me low, I'm forced to rely on God in deeper ways. And when I see him working through the pain, I can learn contentment, even in hardship. Now, if you're like me, you want contentment to come in a packaged form already complete. In other words, you don't want to learn contentment. You just want to have it. But that's not how this works. We learn contentment by experiencing both joy and trial. We learn perseverance by persevering. We learn endurance by enduring. We learn humility by being humbled. And we learn hope by waiting on God for him to come through. And we do all of this in the strength that Christ alone provides. So as we head into this new year, let's plan to thank God for the blessings that no doubt are coming our way. But let's also thank him, learn to thank him and find contentment even in the difficulties. For in then, when we are weak, Christ is strong in us. Amen.